turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews. If you do not have a Bible, there are Bibles on the back table next to the offering box. If you don't own one, we'd love to give one to you. And the book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, uh, you can find that. So it's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 will be our text this morning. The book of Hebrews is called the book of Hebrews because it was written to a church full of Hebrews. That keeps it pretty easy to remember, huh? (laughs) It was a church comprised of Jewish Christians, Jewish followers of Jesus. Now, we don't know who authored the book of Hebrews. Even to this day, we don't know the human author of this book. It almost certainly could not have been the Apostle Paul because of how The author of this book talks in in chapter 2. He says that the message of Christ had been passed down to him by those who heard it directly. We know from the book of Galatians that Paul heard the gospel from whom? Jesus himself. It was not passed down to him by any man. He makes that explicitly clear. And so the author, the human author of this book, must have been a second generation Christian. Could have been Apollos. Could have been Silas. Many people think it might have been Barnabas or even Luke, Luke who wrote the gospel according to Luke in the book of Acts. It doesn't actually matter, though, because the divine author behind this book is none other than God, the Holy Spirit. If we were to pause and read from chapter one all the way through chapter 13, that much would be made explicitly clear. We would read. And we would see how this book portrays both the divinity and the humanity of Jesus. We would see in vivid color how it showcases Jesus as the truer lamb, the greater high priest. It would do this in such brilliant rhetoric and imagery that when we were done reading this book, we would stand back and we would go, wow, no human could have made this up. No human could have made this up. Here's another reason why I love the book of Hebrews. Here's another reason why I think it's a super important book for us today, which we're only going to spend one day. This is a standalone sermon. We're going to start a series in Esther next week. I'm so excited about, but for right now, the Lord has us here. Hebrews 12 chapters, excuse me, chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. The, the, The other reason why I think this is important is that unlike most other New Testament letters that were written to churches in the midst of, in the midst of scandal, most of the other letters were written to the churches in the, in the midst of tremendous suffering and or false teaching, this letter, this book, Hebrews, was written to a church whose primary issue is that they had fallen into a state of staleness. They had fallen into the routine, humdrum Christianity. And their faith had grown a bit weary, a bit sluggish. You might even say that the Hebrews were bored Christians. We know from Hebrews chapter 10 that they weren't always this way. We know from chapter 10 that, that these Jewish Christians who were, who were first enlightened by the gospel, they had a very vibrant and confident and zealous faith that propelled them to endure some pretty intense 
persecution. In verse 33 of chapter 10, we see that they endured public reproach and affliction, probably probably public beatings and shaming. In verse 34, we see they, they endured the loss of property and possessions due to following Jesus. They weren't always sluggish. The author even remarks that they endured these things joyfully with a heart of ministry. There's something about persecution, something about overt suffering that just stirs the church like a beehive. However, at the time of this letter being written, persecution, for the most part, is a thing that's behind them. This church is now between 30 and 35-ish years old. In terms of, you know, Substance Church Worcester, we're about two and a half years old. These guys were 30, 35 years old as a fellowship. The rush of early Christianity was kind of starting to fade. You know, when people first come to Christ and they're like, yeah. Charge the hill, right? That was kind of starting to to wane. The excitement of the early years of church planting, especially in the midst of suffering, that was kind of starting to wane. Their prayer lives were hit or miss. Their devotional lives aren't probably what it should have you know, been. And, and we even read in chapter 10 again that their church attendance was beginning to suffer because some of them were like, well, what, what's the point of gathering every week? And this is the reason why the book of Hebrews was written. To stir the affections of tired, weary, sluggish believers. To remind them that Jesus is better than anything or anyone that they could possibly imagine and pursue. The writer of Hebrews wants to remind them that the Christian faith is in fact a race that is worth every ounce of faith-fueled effort to complete. If you wanted to sum up the entirety of this letter in one word, endurance. It's interesting. We have need for endurance in seasons of suffering. Absolutely we do. Some of you are in those seasons of suffering right now. You have need for miraculous doses of grace to help you to endure. But do you know who else is in need of a very particular kind of endurance? Those of us who are pretty comfortable. It's in seasons of ease when I really need endurance because I can get really casual really quick and I start to talk about my walk with Christ in terms of walking and strolling in the park. The author of Hebrews is like, uh-uh, it's a race, dude. You've got to run. Hebrews chapter 12 Verses 1 and 2 not only remind us that we are in a race, but the author in these verses provides us with at least three, I'm going to look at three today, three practical helps to keep us running, to stir us to run, to shake us out of complacency. If you're here and you're trying to feel for your spiritual pulse, 
If you're like, God, I'm, I'm hungry for you, but I, I just, I don't know, I don't have the energy. And just, if you're slipping into kind of the, the season of the status quo Christian, just letting the days glide by, these verses are for you this morning. Before we read, you'll notice in verse 1, it starts off with the word therefore. So what is happening here, the author's about to make a statement in verses 1 and 2. He's about to tell us something based off his previous thought. His previous thought is chapter 11. Yeah, the whole of it. An absolutely incredible passage of scripture. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, not only are we given the biblical definition of faith in 11 verse 1, we are given a list of absolutely wonderfully ordinary men and women who lived extraordinary lives of faith by God's grace. A list of men and women who ran the race of the Christian life with great endurance. We're reminded of the faith of Abel. If we were to read through chapter 11, we see Enoch, Noah, Abraham. Just a refresher, Abraham was living in the land of Ur, minding his own business. God says, hey, Leave everything and everyone you know and come and follow my voice to a land that I will show you. And he did it. What a crazy dude. Then we're reminded of the faith of Sarah, Abram's wife. And then Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses, who by faith opposed Pharaoh and then led Countless thousands of Israelites toward the promised land through 40 years in the wilderness. We're reminded of Rahab the prostitute. I love that Rahab made the list of the hall of faith in chapter 11. By faith, she simply helped the Israelite spies when they came to Jericho. The whole point of Hebrews chapter 11 that the author is saying, therefore, about, is to highlight for us men and women throughout biblical history who have endured before us. Men and women who, despite great testing and great temptation to either abandon the truth of God or sluggishly drift from it, they ran the race of faith in God. And so it's with this in mind, with this list of people in mind, that the author writes In Hebrews 12, verse 1, would you follow along with me? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? We are reminded that this is your word, Lord. We don't know who the human author is, but we know who the divine author is. 
And in our reading of this scripture, let us know with certainty, we have just heard your voice. We have just heard from you. Let that stir up awe and reverence in us. It can be a bit difficult to parachute into the middle of a book like this, into the later chapters of a book. Lord, would you give grace to us to understand this passage without tons and tons of, of context? Give us the help that we need to understand what it is that you're saying because we want to be transformed into the likeness of our Savior today. And we know that that will be accomplished by your grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I, believe it or not, ran cross-country in middle school. And uh, I remember for the couple of years that I ran, you know, being on the starting line and looking over at the dude with the gun, which I don't know why they still do it that way, but anyway, he fires off the gun and everybody on the line just, it's an all-out blitzkrieg, right? It's just this, it's race, this adrenaline is pumping, opposition is all around, all of these enemy foes wearing other high school or middle school jerseys, all that stuff. So as I'm running, every race, this would inevitably happen. All the runners start to spread out, and I find myself in the middle of the woods, completely separated from the pack because I was slow, not because I was fast, by myself, and I often found when I was segregated from other groups of runners, when I was separated from all the opposition, I found myself even struggling to keep a pace and remember that I was even in a race. It was so long and, and boring and there was no action around me. And all too often, the way that I felt in the middle of that race and the weakness and the fatigue and the, and the lack of motivation and the sluggishness, all too often those adjectives can tend to describe my Christian life. And maybe, maybe you're here and the same could be said for you. That we're kind of in coast mode. Yeah, we're getting up and when we eat breakfast, we crack open the devotional for the day. We say a prayer. We thank God for our food. We ask him to continue providing as we've been learning. But a month goes by, two months goes by, and we start to realize, man, I've just lacked, I'm lacking a lot of vibrancy right now in my walk with Christ. I I love him, but that passion isn't burning in me. Zeal has kind of waned. I, I, I struggle to even remember that this is a race. I just, I'm just kind of doing, I'm going through the routine. Maybe that describes a bit of where you're at this morning. The title of my sermon, if you're a note taker, is Let Us Run. And here are the three practical helps that the author gives us. If you find yourself in somewhat of a season such as what I've just described, here are three things from this text that I think will minister to you today. Number one, let the saints propel you. Number two, examine your life 
for anything that could be weighing you down. And number three, keep your eyes on the finish line. Not a huge fan of sports analogies, but the author uh, wrote it in there. So <laughs> let's look at number one, and I'll explain what I mean by this. Let the saints propel you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he writes. Here, the author is, is, is really kind of depicting an image of a coliseum filled with the saints of old. It's, a, it's, it's so, there's so many of them. We're, we're far away. It's like we're a runner in the middle of this Colosseum. And it could be that the, that the Jewish Christians who were receiving this letter, they lived in Rome, maybe. Uh, some scholars think that, which would have just, they would have had the Colosseum. They know what they're talking, the author's talking about here. You're in the middle of the Colosseum and there's all these, this cloud. And that word for cloud could just as easily be uh, translated as crowd. But I, I love the image of being engulfed, immersed in this cloud of saints who have gone before us. Now, we've got to be careful here. Some church traditions take this passage in, a, in, a, in kind of a weird place. And they say, well, you know, all those, those people, they're cheering us on. And we should probably pray to them and ask for their strength and their help. Don't go all bad theology on me with this. Look, the, the text never says that. Nowhere in Scripture are we encouraged to do that. The only reason why the cloud of witnesses is mentioned is to motivate you and I in our faith. Okay, don't make a mountain out of a molehill, right? It's to motivate that we would read the stories of these saints and that we would get pumped up, that we would get inspired, that we would get stirred in our affections and courage and be given strength to endure, to run our own leg of the Christian faith. These men and women of Hebrews chapter 11 are pace setters. They're setting, the, they're setting the pace for us. Their stories have been given to us by God so that we would see the extraordinary things that God is capable of doing through ordinary people who simply trust him. Read the story of Moses afresh, maybe this afternoon. You'll be blessed by it. Read the story of Elijah how he goes toe-to-toe with the prophets of Baal and calls down the fire and the glory of God. It is astounding. Read the book of Esther because you'll get extra credit for next week. You'll, you'll, you'll be ahead of us as we start this nine-week series. But also, her story is astounding. I mean, you can't help but kind of get pumped up after reading her story. If you're feeling humdrum in any way about your Christian walk, if you're lacking any inspiration or boldness or zeal or confidence, it could be that you're doing what I did during my cross-country races. I separated myself from the rest of the pack. I was out all by myself. I had no motivation, no one to help set the pace for me. I was by myself. No one to keep me on pace. That's what these stories in Scripture partially are given to us to do. Firstly and foremostly, to show us, they're to show us God Himself. But man, we can glean inspiration from these stories as we ought, the, the, the writer of Hebrews 12 is telling us to do this. 
in addition to these stories, is a host of other faithful men and women. You can get your nose in their biographies. I mean, read about John Newton, for goodness sakes. The infamous slave trader who became a born-again believer and penned the most famous hymn ever known. Amazing Grace. Read the story of George Mueller. George Mueller was an ordinary man who never once asked any person for a single penny. He just simply prayed to the Lord. He ended up looking out uh, after over 10,000 orphans and building 117 schools. Amazing stories. Read about Elizabeth Elliot. You know her, right? The story. who in, She endured the death of her husband to the Alka Indians. She remained faithful to that tribe, the very tribe who killed him. That tribe to this day now worships and serves Jesus. Can you just hear the author of Hebrews 12, verse 1? Brothers and sisters, are any of you feeling sluggish at all? Are you feeling tied down to a routine? Are you lacking life and vibrancy in your walk of faith? Well, maybe it's because you're staring at your own shoes. Look up. Look into this cloud. Look at the stories we've been given to set a pace and to stir up affection. Look at this team that you're on. Look at the race God has set before you. I love this this quote from A.W. Tozer. He says this, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity we plan only things we can do by ourselves, by our own strength. What I believe that the, the author of Hebrews is trying to stir up is, Brothers and sisters, don't run alone. Let the stories of the saints, let the stories of Scripture propel you to remind you of the things that God is capable of doing through you in your lifetime right here in Worcester, Ohio. Get into your Bible. Reread these stories. Reread Christian biographies. If you're a Netflix person, there's biographies all over. Of the saints, watch them, get pumped up. There are other faithful witnesses. You can watch your pastors. You can do that. That's partially why we're here. You can watch, you can, you can, you can use your CG leaders as a pace setter. If you're a visitor, it's community group leaders. We're all of us gathering together on Wednesdays. You can watch your community group leader to help set the pace. Hebrews 13 says to imitate your leader's faith. I have another idea for you. If, you, if, you're, if you're finding yourself in a season where passion is just not there, you love the Lord, but you, you, wanna, you want more, maybe ask a brother out to breakfast. Maybe ask a sister out to lunch and ask them, what are some awesome faith stories from your life? Tell me the ways in which God's working in you now. Tell me what he's done in your life before. Have you ever seen the miraculous take place? Tell me about these things. Stir my affections because I want to run with more fervor. Let the saints of God propel you to trust God in greater ways. We all need to be reminded of the shortness of this run. It will go by quickly. 
there is an urgency to run well in the grace that Jesus has provided us. Of all of the people in Scripture, we would think that the Hebrew church, these Jewish Christians, should be cut maybe a little bit of slack, right? I mean, they have endured quite a bit of persecution. It's okay, you know, you guys can coast for a little while. That's not what the, that's not what the author writes. He says, uh-uh. No way. There is no coasting in a race. Jesus is coming. He's commissioned us to work and wait for him. And he is coming back soon. We've got work to do. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us Run with endurance the race that is set before us. Number two, a practical help for those who might feel sluggish, tired. Examine your life for anything that could be weighing you down. The NIV translates it this way. Let us throw off everything that hinders us from running. Another translation, let us get rid of anything that slows us down, especially sin. Do you hear? There's a distinction this author, this author is making. It's not just sin that Christians are to cast off. To cast off anything that slows us down. It could be a non-sinful thing. I like to think of those clips of the military servicemen and women returning from duty. And in every one of those, there's, there's hundreds of these clips. You can watch them. Just make your soul happy. But every one of these clips, there's, there's inevitably a kid waiting on mom or dad to come home and holding a sign in the airport terminal, holding a teddy bear under the arm, you know, coats on, all that stuff, just waiting for mom or dad to, to get off the, the flight. And what happens when mom or dad gets off the flight? Almost every single time, right? The sign, gone. The teddy bear, done. The coat, off. And this kid is bolting to their mom or dad. What if this is the image that's being conjured up here in this verse? That there was nothing inherently sinful about the sign. There was nothing inherently wrong with having a coat on or a teddy bear in arm. But you know what? That kid could not wait to get to their dad. And so every extra ounce of weight came off in the process. Of course we're to cast off sin. Of course we are to cast off sin. Are you still to this day drinking too much alcohol, though the Holy Spirit has been trying to convict you of it? Are you still sowing discord with gossip? Are you still coveting your neighbor's possessions? Are you still indulging the lusts of your heart and your mind? Of course you ought to cast these things off and ask a brother or sister to help you do it. But we're not just talking about sin. Could it be that some of us have forgotten just how real our enemy is. 
and just how much he wants to steal and kill and destroy our faith. That he is willing. Man, his, he'll settle for the leader of the house not being bogged down by pornography. That's a blatant sin. But what's not so blatant is the hours upon hours that the leader of that household spends on Facebook and Netflix. All Satan has to do is just pull the moms and dads out of the fight. They don't even have to be engaging in overt sin. Just keep them quiet. Keep them pacified. Every ounce of unnecessary baggage needs to be removed. The author of Hebrews is crying out that we would hear this. Not just sins. Sins are sins. Weights are weights. Is there anything in your life when you think right now and you say, God, the Holy Spirit, help me, help me to see. Is there anything in my life that is entangling me or distracting me or keeping me from running with outright fury to the finish line? I bet you, I bet you if we prayed that prayer honestly and earnestly, our minds wouldn't even be able to contain the amounts of things that we allow in that we're trying to just hold like this while we're walking toward Christ. Entertainment, possessions and comforts, our reputations, how heavy do those things get? Our fear, our fear of, well, if we, if we sell everything and we step out on mission, what, what, will, what will come of it, Lord? Who will possibly provide? How will these ends be met? Do you feel that weight? It's not a sin to be afraid. It's a sin to be owned by it. John Piper, about this passage, says this. Hebrews 12, verse 1, is a command to look at your life and to think hard about what you're doing and then to get ruthless about what stays and what goes. As soon as I read that, I regretted picking this passage. Paul would say to us that most of these things that we're participating in whether they're ideas or the things that we own or the time we're giving to certain things, um, most of these things are lawful, right? But not all of them are helpful. Most of these things are permissible. Not all of them are helpful. I, you know, as a believer, maybe you can resonate with this. Is not our tendency so often to ask, what can we get away with? What's permissible? I mean, are, are, what are the shows that Christians are allowed to watch? What kind of music? Can, can I listen to this as a Christian? We're trying to toe this line, right? How much, how much alcohol is too much to drink? How, 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 how much can I share without being a gossip? How much stuff can I buy without being materialistic? We're always trying to like toe this line. We want to know what's permissible. How close can I get without sinning? And the writer of Hebrews is like, dude, you're on another planet. It's not just 
abstaining from sin. It's casting off anything that's slowing you down from getting before the Lord and giving him, giving all of yourself to him. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The last tidbit of help that the author offers us is to keep our eyes on the finish line. For a marathoner, there's no greater motivator than to see the finish line. Not even a marathoner, just 5K, whatever, whatever race. We're going to stick with the race analogy, right? There's no greater motivator than to see the finish line. You get a blast of adrenaline. You get this renewed commitment, renewed strength. And the author here is implying that there's no greater motivator for running the race of the Christian life than keeping your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, who not only initiated our faith, who not only birthed it by his Holy Spirit in our hearts, but he perfect, He will finish it. He perfects it. As I read this passage, verse 2, I can't help but think of Jesus in Gethsemane. It's a scene that we talk about a lot especially on communion weekend. I think about him in agony over what the next day would bring. As he was writhing in discomfort in the garden, praying, he knew he would be nailed to a cross as a substitute for sinners, dying the death deserved only by us in order to give us the life deserved only by him. And I think of him agonizing over the impending pain of that crucifixion and the, and the, the raw humiliation and shame of being nailed up there naked. More importantly, I think of him processing the pain of being separated from the Father because of our sin. As he cried out in desperation, Lord, if there is any other way, Father, if there is any other way, let it be, but nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. It makes, when we, when we, when we, when we have that scene in our minds, it makes it a lot more powerful, does it not, when we read that for the joy that was set before him, he endured. He despised the shame. Hated it. Despised the humiliation and the pain, but he endured because of the joy that was set before him. Because of what he would accomplish by his death and resurrection. He would be reunited with the Father. Our text says at the right hand of the throne, meaning he would be reinstated to equal power and honor and authority 
as he was in all of glory before he came to earth in the flesh, he would defeat the power of Satan and sin and death. He would unlock the gates of the heavenly city that is to come and he would secure, hallelujah, for himself a people to live and reign with him forever. Jesus endured through the agony of the cross by the infinitely greater joy that awaited him on the other side. For those of you who are suffering seasons of difficulty, it starts with these things in mind. It starts to really kind of preach to the heart, Romans 8.18, when Paul wrote, you know, the sufferings of this present age are not even worth comparing to that which will be revealed to the children of God. If you are in a season of tremendous suffering, brother or sister, Christ went before you and experienced all of these same sufferings even to the utmost, and he endured so that he could, by his spirit, give you the power to do the same. For those of you who are like me, where I find myself, for the most part, in a season of some ease, some comfort, keeping our eyes on the face of our perfecter, keeping our minds centered on what is to come, Keeping ourselves surrounded with brothers and sisters who are reminding us that this race is in fact real. We have a real adversary that's trying to slow us down, but we should cast off every weight, not even giving a foothold, not even giving the possibility of temptation because we are looking forward with great joy to beholding all that Christ secured in his death and resurrection for us. It is coming. And I wish that I could read, you know, an article of all of these last words of the saints throughout the years. Not a single person on their deathbed ever said, I regret casting off all of those weights. I regret just wrapping it up with Facebook and being done and instead being more with my face in the stories of the saints and of Scripture. I don't think that any person in all of the history of the world will ever be on their deathbed and say, I wish I would have watched more of the seasons that was in my Netflix queue. It sounds really silly when I talk about it like that, doesn't it? And yet these things just demand our time and allegiance, do they not? Maybe Netflix isn't your thing, but something else is. So what are we to do if we find ourselves in a season today, where our faith is struggling a little bit. We're tired. We're locked into a routine. We're, we're, we're lacking some vibrancy and some life. We can start with this passage. We can start on our next day off by reading some of the stories of the saints listed in Hebrews chapter 11. Let the saints propel you. Let them get you stirred up. Let them get you fired up to live life on mission with great sacrifice because of the joy that's laid before us. Then examine your life. Ask the Lord today, what might be weighing me down, Lord? I want to run. Maybe I don't even want to run. Help me to want to want to run. 
And lastly, fix your eyes on the, on the prize himself. If we would only stare at Jesus longer. If I would only stare at Jesus longer. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us.